Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. For most of humanity, that we have generally like lifted up um, community and society over the individual. Over the last couple of hundred years, in the West anyway, in the West, we have kind of taken on this experiment, really, where we've tried to elevate the individual above the society. And it's a real tension. But we live in a moment now where we do genuinely celebrate those who we think have not been touched by culture or society. The self-made millionaire is the person that we celebrate, right? And, and we look down on those who are like, you know, those born with a silver spoon in their mouth, or they're just living off mummy and daddy's money, or like we look down on them, but if you're self-made or self-created, then like we celebrate. You do you is our mantra, right? Like don't, don't, don't think about culture, don't think about anything around you, any influences, you do you. And that's the, that's the biggest thing that we celebrate. Any Apple fans in the house? I know it's a slightly dividing controversy, all right? It's not the main point of the sermon, but um, in 1997, there was an advert, Apple put out an advert when Steve Jobs came back to Apple and uh, fairly famous, and you might remember it as I start reading it, but this is the advert and this is what they were trying to get to. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes. And, and a lot of people I think say, yes, don't you like, that's like our general feeling like, yeah, we like that kind of feeling. The ones who see things differently, they're not fond of rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them, but the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. Yes, come on, let me be one of those (laughs) rebel-making, change-making, globe-changing people. It captures something of the moment, doesn't it? It kind of captures something right now. I want to be a, a part of that. And this is no Apple advert that I'm on, but it captures this thing of like, we want to be self-made. Let me just give you two thoughts on this, because this is, this is the air that we're breathing right now. And I think we all know that. Two thoughts on this. Firstly, if we are to live like this, thinking that the best way to do is not to look at society, but just to look in on ourselves and just follow what I think is in my mind, we will live with some huge blind spots in our life that will potentially derail us in this life and in the life to come. David Wallace Foster, who wasn't a Christian as far as I was aware, who was an American academic, he gave this fairly famous speech called This Is Water at this university graduation in America. And he basically t- he starts off this speech by talking about this like, story of two fish swimming through the sea. And they pass this older fish who's swimming in the opposite direction. And the older fish says to the two smaller fish, morning boys. And they ask the question, how's the water today? And the two little fish carry on walking. Uh, walking. <laughs> I actually did a biology A-level as well. Um, and they kept on swimming. And then a few minutes later, turned to one another and said, what is water? Getting at the point that 
you and I live in this culture that very often we just don't even see. Like, how's the culture today? Most of us are, well, what? we're just doing life, right? We're just carrying on doing life. And he makes the, the case that the most important education we have is actually not an education into the awareness of the forces around us. So he says this at the, at, at, in his speech, he says, a real education which has almost nothing to do with knowledge and almost everything to do with simple awareness. Awareness of what is so real and essential, so hidden in plain sight all around us all the time that we have to keep reminding ourselves over and over, this is water. The adverts that we are watching, this is water. The conversations in the workplace, this is water. It is affecting us and changing us and leading us somewhere. And if we think that we are not in water, we will be bobbed along through cultural tides into places that maybe we never wanted to be at. You, we, you know, it's funny, like one generation, I think, tends to criticise the previous generation, the older generation. I think it's probably something that all of history have always done, or at least I hope so. We happen to be the most arrogant, you know, generation that's ever lived. But there's always this like kind of nitpicking or pointing out of the holes of the previous generation. Has anyone ever, you know, your parents' generation, blind spots that they just don't get it today. It's very possible that our children, Kiara, will be talking about my parents' generation, who is us, the, their blind spots and what they would do. And, and if we're not aware that we are in culture, we, we are being forced and created and led somewhere by this water that we're in, we will just bob along without ever being able to cut across the tide. That's the first thought. The second thought is this. It is actually impossible to live without the culture around us. Because even those who are the rebels, the crazy ones, those who create the Apple iPhone, they are responding to culture. They are taking what is here and responding, going against it. So either you fit in and you go with the mainstream, you fold into it, or you fight it and you go against the mainstream. Either way, you're responding to what is the mainstream. Does that make sense? We cannot just exist outside of the water. Sometimes the Bible gets a bad rap for being kind of simplistic because it was written in a pre-scientific age. But actually, when you read the Bible, a lot of it, is actually far more nuanced in its assessment of our living today than a lot of the cultural analysis and what you read on social media. Let me just read this from Hebrews, uh, sorry, from Ephesians chapter two, and we will get to Hebrews in just a moment. Because Paul, who lived in a pre-scientific age, this was his description of the water that we're living in, the cultural tides that we're in. He says this, you, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So there was a deadness. There was no power to change or walk another way. And he says, following the course of this world. So this world has a course that is taking us on. It is leading us somewhere, firstly. Secondly, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Secondly, highlighting the fact that there is a spiritual dimension that we cannot see behind everything that we can see that is also influencing and leading us and taking us places. 
And then he says, there is another force at work among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So it says there is this culture that's leading us somewhere. There are spiritual forces that are leading us somewhere. And our hearts just often don't want God and they are wanting the things of this world. Can anyone testify to that? So I don't like walking around Westfield very much because I just want, I like, I'd rather not know that it existed than know that it exists and not want it because I'm like, I want all this stuff. There's something in me that's like, yes, I want. And so we're bound up in this world. We, we, we cannot. And the answer that Paul gives us in Ephesians 2 is if we are going to actually cut a course that is truly rebellious from culture, we are going to have to walk a life by faith. Because he says in verse 8 of this chapter, for by grace you have been saved from all of these things, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the, the, the passions in our hearts, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That actually when we look to God through faith, we find a source outside of this world by whom we can be dictated to and by and follow him. If we are going to live a truly rebellious life, we need to attach ourselves to God who exists outside of time and space history, who was and is and is to come, who is the great sovereign Lord who holds all of history in his hands and can look at zero AD and the end of the world all in the palm of his hand and say, I see it all and I'm in control of all. If we can look to this God who exists outside of everything, we find a power to live according to the ways of God and not be controlled and dictated to by the water of our city this is where Moses comes in because it, it's interesting the writer here in Hebrews 11 he slows right down and he takes the most amount of time over Moses's life and we get these four chapters of his life each in, in, introduced by this phrase by faith by faith by faith by faith by faith and these four chapters of Moses's life are chronicled and really what they do is they, they highlight one moment of cultural pressure that was on his life and how him and his family responded by faith in that moment. So in the moment where there was this threat that they could get pushed along the course of this world, pushed along by the spiritual darkness that was leading them somewhere, they actually navigated life by faith in God and they cut a different course. One of the crazy ones who did not do what seemed to be sensible, where others, maybe even their own Israelite brothers and sisters, would look at them and say, I don't understand what you're doing, but they were walking by faith. And we as a church, our passion is that we don't just get bobbed along by the cultural tides of the day. We don't just reflect everything that's going on around us, but actually we cut a path that is Christward, and that we are set apart for Christ and we display a different way of doing society and we as church become just the, the living parable of what this new kingdom is all about. That when people come amongst us, they find a different society, a different culture with different power at work, the power of God in Christ Jesus, amen. And so what I wanna do is just look at these four chapters from Moses' life and see what we can learn from them. And there are these just different shades that come out, but each of them actually 
translate into our day and we live with some of these pressures still to this day so my hope is that we leave encouraged and that we turn to Jesus and find him with the pressures that we face on a Monday and a Tuesday etc etc is that okay all right thanks Cheryl okay (laughs) so four four chapters of his life and interesting the first chapter starts not with Moses but with his mum and dad, with Amran and Jochebed. Because for all of us, our life starts with our mum and dad. And the the older I get, the more I realise how formative my parents have been on my life. Can anyone testify to that? Sometimes I like take a double take at myself and think, is my like. I just, where's my dad? My dad just came out of my mouth. Like, how did that just happen? I seem to be like channeling my father through some, and it, it, how you realize he's like your parents are deep in you. And so a lot of what Moses lived and how he led God's people and the decisions he made by faith, we can actually root back into his mum and his dad's faith because that's where the writer starts. So we read this in verse 23. He says, by faith, Moses, I think this is Moses a child, so what does Moses have to do with this? Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the children was beautiful, sorry, that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So let me just explain some of the context here. So, um, Moses' mum and dad, they, they grew up in a genuinely difficult time. Hardship, racism, apartheid policies, kept as slaves against their own will, mistreated, in their own quarter, looked down upon. This was the environment that Moses was born into. He was f- born into hardship and difficulty. And the the Pharaoh at the time saw that the Hebrew people were growing in strength and growing in number. And so decided to send out this edict that every male baby should be killed across the land. I mean, just imagine the kind of horror, the kind of genocide that was happening just for everyone involved, the kind of trauma that they were living through, being, knowing that you had this young baby boy now and there were soldiers going house to house through the Jewish quarter looking for baby boys to murder. And so just imagine the wranglings of Jochebed and Amran talking and thinking it through because if they try and hide their son, they will be killed. So what... what, what, what how do they walk by faith? What does it mean for them to trust God in this moment? Should, maybe they should just offer Moses up because everyone's going to get found out anyway. Maybe their son will anyway be killed. So why would they all three be killed? Why should they go against this? What, what is it to walk by faith in this moment? Like the moral complexity of this. You read some stories about Christians and others who, like through Second World War and things who are experiencing such like the complexity of walking by faith in these like pressurized scenarios is like you, we cannot underestimate it. But Jochebed and Amran decide by faith that they are going to take their son through the city to the River Nile and they are going to offer up Moses in a basket as close as they can to where Pharaoh's family bathe in the river. 
So they take their own life in their hands by faith. They hide Moses somehow within their cloaks. Just imagine the desperation of hoping like, what if he cries? What if, what if he, like all of these things, what if he lets, they take him down to the River Nile. And, I mean, if, Sunday school is wonderful. Like I'm a big Beacons champion, but sometimes you read, you, if you've like, colored in pictures, I, I, the pictures I have in my mind of, of Jochebed, like letting Moses into the basket, they always seem so calm. Like, everyone in the pictures is so calm. Like, how, like this is their son that they're letting go of. Seeing Pharaoh's daughter bathing, hoping against hope, not only the tide will take her there, but Pharaoh's daughter will have mercy because she could very well say, this is a Hebrew boy, my father is killing them at the moment, send him to my father. This was no calm moment with smiley faces with each other. This would have been desperate prayers. Father, would you keep my son? Would you save him? I, why is all this happening to me? Why do I have to do this? Imagine the complaints, the bitterness. God, would you save my son? And by faith, they offer up their baby boy, watching as he bobs down the river. Thankfully, is found by Pharaoh's daughter. But stay with me in this moment, what it is to offer up your son by faith. Our world today tells us that the most important thing is for our children to be comfortable and safe and number one priority every, everything like just around our children that's that's the priority even for christians the temptation could be like well i want to live my own faith journey but like for my children i just want them to be safe and happy and comfortable and i just i don't i don't want them to. it's a temptation right it's a pressure on us to not take our child and not walk by faith. Moses grew up to be the kind of fearless leader that he was eventually by faith. I think in a large part because he had this blueprint wedded into him because his mum and his dad made decisions by faith. Not on what they could see, not on what seemed sensible, what not others were doing, but by faith, this is how we're going to walk. We're trusting in God. And Moses would have had this impressed on his heart. Deep down, this is how my parents acted. I must walk by faith like they did. The actions that we take as parents have influences way beyond what we can see, I think, on our children. And we live with that, don't we, today? Some of you are crazy, risk-taking, faith-living men and women because your parents were like that. And they set this example of what it is to cut a course by faith. And it always, there, there's this rub that always comes up. I mean, we, we sent uh, AJ and Nam to Birmingham to plant a church there, Christchurch Birmingham. They're doing wonderfully well. And one of the, like, I could cope with them leaving because we've got emails and phones and I've got a car and, you know, all those kind of things. But the thing that I found the most difficult was seeing Shifa and Kiki, their friendship being separated. They were like, ah, bezies. Like there was something about their, whatever it was, they just clicked in a unique way. That was the thing that got me welling up. And we could think like, no, 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 no. 
that doesn't make sense that's not sensible for our children they've got two friends they're christian friends they love each other they just click they get each other let's not let's be sensible about this what's best for the children let's keep them together let's not send you to birmingham but by faith trusting God that even in the pain of being separated by cities now something of faith will be imprinted into Kiki's life deep down at a soul level that she will then in the future remember by faith we walk by faith my parents walked by faith the reason that Troy and I are here in in London is because I look back and we made a decision that didn't like feel like a big moment of faith in the time but by faith we we chose to head towards London again because we were um, meeting with a Baptist church um, outside of London and it was a it was a nice job and it was a nice little town and they had a nice house where you could have big homes you know because they didn't cost like London prices and and we wanted to start a family and so the kind of advice was that makes sense like you trained as a baptist minister here's a baptist church you could count like it, everything makes sense like you got bedrooms and it make you know like it but we knew deep down in our heart that if at this stage in our mid-20s we make a decision because it makes sense and not by faith we are only setting ourselves up for a trajectory of safeness something deep down in our heart it's like no we want to we want to live by faith if i knew the apple advert i want to be one of the crazy ones <laughs> i want to change the world i want to be about something that's not by sense but by faith amen and so jochebed and amram made this difficult decision by faith to offer up abraham and i think in uh, moses we have this man who grew up to live a bold and courageous faith so to us parents the call is there to make decisions by faith sometimes it doesn't make sense even to us it doesn't make sense to our family to our friends so it just feels like this by faith is the next step for us as a family so that our children could look back and say why did the family move there or why did you go for this or what they would have a god story not just oh it was a better job no god called us as a family so we ended up in london and we ended up doing this and planning a church and that's that's our story let's write some god stories for our children amen amen and for those of you who would love children one day i pray that god blesses you with children i know it's not an easy one secondly this moses grew up in the soil of his parents faith then moses was tempted towards the pleasures of the world because Moses miracle of miracles was taken by Pharaoh's daughter and adopted into Pharaoh's family so I mean just in, like in terms of crazy rags to riches story this is a Hebrew boy who was treated as a slave kept and then within a day is adopted into the Pharaoh's household because Pharaoh's daughter for whatever reason saw the beauty of this boy and adopted him into the family and suddenly he becomes one of pharaoh's household i mean we still watch documentaries about 
Egypt today, right? Because there were the magnificence and the wealth and the prestige and the status of this nation. And Moses finds himself at the very heart of it with the access to all that the world could offer, all of the wealth, all of the pleasures, all of the money, all of the privilege to be able to walk down the street and for others to part because here is one of Pharaoh's households. To be taken by courtiers and chariots and have soldiers go before you to live with this kind of esteem and respect. I mean, if, if I were Moses in this moment, I would, be, I would be quite tempted to think, do you know what? God blessed me. Like, he did a miracle. He, he called me out. And God needs people in influence, right? So he needs people in high... high. I could very quickly rationalise why this is the place I should stay. Because a miracle got me here, so why should I get out of here? So no, 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 no. You know, God opens a door, I'm here. Like, well, what about your people? No, no, no. Pharaoh needs people like me to talk to him. He needs, he needs, our people need advocates with Pharaoh. I've got, an, I've got his ear. You know, you start to rationalise things. It's very easy to do. But what does Moses do by faith? We're told this in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be the son of Pharaoh, called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So by faith, Moses, I would imagine, had to have taken himself in his own hands and think this one through. Sometimes by faith isn't just an emotional thing. It takes time to reason and to think it through and do a cost-benefit analysis. I think, what is better here? So Moses, he looked at all of the wealth that Pharaoh could offer him, all of the prestige, the status, everything that he could enjoy if he kept this lifestyle, which he could very easily have done. Or he could identify with his own people and lose everything and be mistreated as a slave once more. And not only that, have his own adopted family hate him. And he said, if I'm here, I have the riches of Christ. I have the wealth of God. I have an inheritance that is better than anything that I could have in Egypt. And he thought it through. He worked it out. And I would imagine wrestled his emotions down. I mean, I walked through Westfield once and I'm like, yeah, I want that Aston Martin. Like, how do I get it? He lived with this and he had to give it away. He had to wrestle his emotions down. And by faith, he said, there is greater wealth with God than there is with Pharaoh. There is greater wealth in eternal life than there is in this life with all the riches and all the best foods and all the best clothes and all the best status that I can have. And so by faith, he went and he left the household and he identified with his own people and received the reproach of his own people. Pete and I were chatting before the service and saying it's one thing, you know, we get to our venerable age. Pete's slightly more venerable age than my venerable age. <laughs> Just... Not much. <laughs> but there, there, is this, there, is this, there is a difference. And just Pete was just sharing the differences. When you're like leaving uni and starting out in life and like you're looking forward to stuff. You're, you're, you're going for stuff. 
As Peter described it, you're playing to win. There are things to get. There's a spouse, there's a family, there's a job, there's a career, there's, there's a house, there's things out there to go and get. And then when you get to a certain point in your life, you, you actually may have got all of those things. And then your by faith journey looks actually quite different. I look back at myself and cringe sometimes how I judged older people, you know, oh, not being radical for the kingdom. And then you actually have kids and a spouse and a house and a dog. I mean, it's like, I'm so cliche right now. Like what, what, what does by faith look like? It's one thing to not have anything and say, I'm gonna, it's quite another to say, I've got all this stuff and I still wanna win something greater than this. There is something better than everything that I've accumulated. I would give it all away in a moment if I could see Christ and him glorified. This was Paul. He said this in, he, in Philippians 3. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul had everything in his moment, status, prestige, leadership roles. He says, I throw all of that away in a moment just to have Jesus Christ. How good is Jesus if you could throw away the wealth of Egypt, if you could throw away all of that status, does our life reflect the fact that Jesus is better than anything that this world can offer? It's one of our, I mean, I, 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 I sometimes wonder, you know, what, what is it our children will one day say of us? You know, like, ah, uh, you know, I think sometimes the, the racial, ethnic kind of like lack of visibility in our own parents generation you don't really understand that what would it be say of like us potentially i wonder whether one of the things would be materialism like just our blind spots would be like we never saw how much money we had and how we used it i'm in the water with you right so this is a very real wrestle i have with you like I, what is that a, is this going to be a will i get to glory and think what did i it was so short like why but all of the wealth of Christ is better than everything that this world can offer. So by faith, we choose to walk towards this, even if it's incrementally saying, I choose Christ's wealth over the world's wealth. Amen? I'm not saying this stuff is easy. You're looking at me like, well, Daniel, you're preaching hard, but I'm just reading the Bible. Sometimes we need to be just poked a little bit, right? or proked, which is provoked and poked at the same time, which I quite like to do, proked. The third thing is this, there was a, a pressure to fear others' opinions. Because in verse 26, he says this, he considered the reproach, sorry, sorry, verse 27, by faith, Moses, he left Egypt and not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That is, that is God. So you have to imagine, like come back with me to Moses growing up as a small boy, like three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like growing up in Pharaoh's household, 
a young boy who didn't have like the ability to cut through the injustice that he had around him a young boy who just took like life as it came you know that's what we do as children right we just grow up and this is this is life this is how it is this is like norm- normality and so moses grows up in the middle of a house that is causing great injustice has like horrendous policies of genocide and apartheid and and, and he grows up thinking this is normal looking up i would imagine to his stepdad pharaoh like if you're a six seven year old boy and you see this man who has all power all wealth he can do anything like snaps his fingers people come running like he would have looked up to think this he's my hero and at some point as he grew aware of his heritage and his faith story with his parents and realized that these are my people and this is just my adopted family there would have been this wrestle This awareness that for me to identify with my people, I'm going to have to let my stepfather down. Like the the emotional turmoil that would have had to have, he would have had to have gone through to, to know like, okay, I'm going to make a valiant choice. But the emotional lingering effect of someone that he probably once cherished and looked up to as a hero, he now receives anger from. Some of you have experienced that kind of emotional breathlessness from knowing that a mum or a dad or someone you looked up to is now displeased with you because of a life choice you made or a faith choice that you made or you became a Christian and your parents still don't understand and there's still a sense of lingering displeasure over your life and you know the kind of what it does sucking out energy for your life you think i i love them and now all i get is anger all i get is condemnation all i get is misunderstanding why don't they support me how did moses navigate this and continue to identify with his people for he endured as seeing him who is invisible so every time Moses is reminded of the fact that his stepfather is displeased with him and angry so much so that he now wants him killed every time that he remembers that I would imagine even as he's walking in the wilderness as a shepherd man even in those moments remembering that the man that he once loved and looked up to now wants him killed whenever he remembered him he would look to God and there would be no displeasure but only pleasure in the face of God he strengthened himself by faith and kept walking by faith because he didn't look to his parents approval he didn't look to his boss's approval he didn't look to his culture's approval he looked to God and he saw God smiling over his life saying well done my good and faithful servant and his strength was restored time and time again there was condemnation from Pharaoh but he looked up to God no condemnation it's bright clear sunny skies over my spiritual soul because god's happy with me they're calling you names they think bad things about you you turn to god and he says you are my beloved you are my cherished i take you into my household you are going to receive my inheritance everything that i have i'm pushing over to your side of the table it's now yours you can enjoy this forever and ever and ever he strengthened himself in the face of 
of God. Which is why when we gather together and we lift up the name of Jesus and we sing, lift him up, lift him up, lift him up, we are doing that deliberately so that we can see him who is invisible. We can be reminded that there is a God in heaven who looks down and says, you are my beloved. I love you because of my son, Jesus Christ. I see him and I see you and I welcome you into my family. We need this time and time again so we can go out into the week and face a boss who maybe doesn't like you or parents who don't understand what you're, the decisions you're making in life I say, but I have God and no one can bring any charge against me because Christ has already justified my life and I stand before him, amen and then lastly we receive this in this moment where I would imagine Egypt they just disdained the Hebrew people Moses acted by faith and in this moment received salvation. So in verse 28, we, receive, we read, By faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So in this moment, if you, if you know the story, God sent nine plagues, basically trying to twist Pharaoh's arm, saying, you must let my people go. You must set them free. You must allow them to walk as free people now and Moses continually said no 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 until the last and the tenth plague God said I'm going to send the angel of death the destroyer through the land of Egypt so that the firstborn of every family will be killed in the night and he says to Moses to instruct the people of God that you are to sacrifice a lamb and you're to take the blood of this lamb and you're to paint it over the doorpost of your house and that when that night comes, you are to stay in the house under the blood of the lamb so that as you rest in the house, the destroyer may pass over you and that you might be saved. And though Egypt might receive judgment, you might walk free. I'm going to save you, Moses. And so Moses instructs the people and they take a lamb and they spread the blood over the doorposts of their homes. And on the night of the Passover, they all remain in their house. And as the destroyer comes and as judgment comes, the firstborn of the Egyptian families are killed. And yet every Israelite family who pasted the blood over their doorpost was saved. Not because of them, because of the blood of the lamb. And because of that, Pharaoh relinquished God's people and they were set free from slavery and they walked out into a place of worship to inherit all that God has promised and because they walked into the, in the promises of God many 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 generations later one was born amongst them called Jesus Christ and he carried on walking by faith and he went to another moment where judgment was going to come and yet he didn't offer up a lamb he went and he offered up his own blood and he said I don't want to die just for my people but for all the nations of the earth and anyone who would come to trust in God and this many 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 generations down the line Jesus he offered up his blood as the perfect sacrifice as John says the Lamb of God and as he goes to a cross he offers up his own blood that is smeared not just to a doorpost but to these cross beams and he is crucified with his blood smeared across this blood and he ushers everyone into himself, whoever would trust in him, whoever would look to Jesus, to his blood, to his death, whoever would rest in him and find themselves under the cross of Christ, judgment will pass us by. 
so that we don't receive judgment today because we are the people of the Passover, because Christ, the true Lamb of God, has been crucified and his blood is over our life so that when any condemnation comes, when any judgment comes, it passes us by because we are in Christ and we rest in him and he brings us salvation so that we are no longer slaves to the water. We are no longer bound to the course of the world. We are no longer in the power of the enemy. We are no longer just dictated to by the passions of the flesh. We are set free because Christ and his blood has set us free from slavery to these things. Amen. Amen. And so we rest in this Christ and in his salvation. Other people in the culture and society say, you're a Christian. It's not a good thing today. Just newsflash, I know you know, but Christians get called all sorts of names. Probably disdained. Just like Moses and his people were as they saw them putting this blood on them. What what well, you sing about the blood of what? what why do you celebrate why are you t- celebrating the death of a man? Like what what is this? Like you believe in what? What kind of people are you? Do you know that's old fashioned? That's and yet, as with Moses, through the disdain of this world, by faith we trust in the blood. And we say, Here I find my salvation. Here I find my rest. Here there is no more judgment for me. I found Christ. Amen.